Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi everyone, this is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee you being on time and on budget. Or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.fm. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today on the Big Break Software Podcast, I have Leo Bernstein, the CEO and co-founder of LineSlip Solutions. LineSlip's it uses AI and machine learning to extract and structure insurance data to automate essential tasks and harness data critical to commercial insurance brokers and corporate insurance companies. Leo will discuss how he came up with the came up with this idea, how he funded the MVP, how he earned his first few customers to go from zero to pro- product market fit and continue growth to where LineSlip is today. How are you today, Leo? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jordy. Good. So great. So as I was mentioning in the pre-show, I've never actually uh, interviewed a, a SaaS that's in the insurance space. So I'm excited to find out what 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 you're all doing. So maybe you could start us off with um, telling us exactly what core problem you solve for your customers. Sure. So unfortunately, like a lot of industries, corporate insurance or commercial insurance, excuse me, is a highly manual process in how it's produced. And all businesses need commercial insurance, right, uh, to ensure their their exposures, you know, their employees, their assets, and so on. Um, and I, as a real estate investor, was responsible for, you know, the commercial insurance for for, for our properties. And um, I was struck by how manual the whole process was. So that's really, that was my introduction to, uh, to the problem. And, and as I spent probably about a year um, asking questions, getting to know people in commercial insurance, because I didn't know anybody, I realized that it was endemic to the whole industry, the manual and the fact okay. that it's a structure that all this data that commercial insurance deals with it's all structured data but but they're not treating it as structured data can you define that i'm not i'm not i'm not familiar with structured data what is what does that mean yeah absolutely so so how folks in the insurance industry transact meaning what they care about things like premiums things like things like limits things like deductibles all of those things mean very specific things, right? A limit is the limit of insurance you have. Premium is what you pay for it. A deductible is the self-insured component of, of okay. an insurance policy. Okay, so, so essentially like if like say X amount equals this, it triggers a, an event or something. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, all I'm saying is that the, the industry um, deals with very specific, when I say structured data, I just mean that it's data that has very specific value. It's defined, right? And it has, um, is important 
in assessing the cost and how much insurance a specific business needs. Does that make sense? And so what I saw here was, can we pause for a second? Do you mind? Okay, so as I understand, you were in real estate and you started to look in, you started to notice that oh, there was all this manual processes happening with the insurance companies. Are we talking about like you were, they're doing stuff on spreadsheets or, you know, what, what does manual mean? Like, what did you see? What kind of menial tasks did you see that they were doing? Sure. Yeah. Basically, I was the one for our real estate venture that was responsible for overseeing the insurance. And what I noticed was that all of the reporting that was done was totally manual. And let me just tell you a quick story about really what 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 started this whole thing or what inspired the journey. Great. I, I went love in, stories. Yeah, I went in for my renewal meeting. Um, and every year, as you know, insurance uh, has a one-year term to it. All insurance does, or most of it. And so I went in um, to review the proposals that the carriers had made to insure our property portfolio, which by by any you know by any standard wasn't that large. It was about a million and a half square feet, so it was you know it's decent. But I went in for this meeting and I sat down with my broker, and he said, Leo, you know what? I suggest we go with the package from Zurich. I said, okay, um, Zurich's a big carrier. Uh, I said, that makes sense, Dave. You know, could you do me a favor and show me what other insurance costs for similar assets like the ones we're insuring here for our portfolio? And really, I was specifically asking to see rate experience, right? The cost to insure some amount of value. Um, in property, it's, you know, the cost to insure $100 of value. Right to normalize for different, you know, different size portfolios. And he said, Leo, I can't do that. I said, why is that, Dave? Uh, he's like, I don't have the data. And I said, I thought about that for a minute. It seemed really strange to me, right? Because it's a data-driven industry. Everything in insurance is, right? That's, they use data to evaluate the cost of insurance. They use data uh, to price it, something, what have you. So I said, well, Dave, you know, insurance is a data-driven industry, right? He's like, yep. And, and, and you're the, you know, one of the largest insurance brokers in the world, right? He's like, yep. How is it you don't have the data? It's like nobody has the data, Leo. And so that was a really, really interesting sort of insight for me. And so yeah, I, I went back imagine. and so I started asking there. questions because I didn't know anybody in the insurance space. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. And so yeah, he's, the, he's, was he working for Zurich? No, he was the insurance broker. So he was working for a very large insurance broker. Um, who will go okay. nameless because they're a customer of mine. But basically what he uh, highlighted is that this is an endemic problem in the insurance industry, right? That um, the insurance industry is a data-driven industry that has no access to their own data. And being a finance guy, my thought was, wow, there's no Bloomberg of insurance. You have no idea what you should pay for to insure a specific set of assets or exposures or businesses, right? And so that was in 2015, and I spent the year, uh, most of 2015, uh, outside of growing my real estate business, um, I spent that year talking to people in insurance to understand why the problem existed, because I couldn't imagine um, that the problem has existed for this long. Um, but I got convinced that there were good reasons for it. And they center around the fact that the insurance industry, namely the carriers, um, they consolidated in the 80s and 90s, right? It was a very fragmented industry that in the 80s and 90s under guys like Hank Greenberg and Cindy Weil and others, 
consolidated. But at that time, there was no technology on the back end, and it didn't make sense to really consolidate the core systems of a lot of these carriers. And so they remain, um, and they're kept on life support by a lot of the managed services companies. And I'm probably kind of going off on a tangent, but I really needed to understand why it was that you had all this heterogeneous form situations where you know one carrier would actually issue, say, a property uh, policy on a different piece of paper than, um, than another carrier. And even within the same carriers, because they never integrated those back-end systems, you had situations where even within the same carriers, they were using different formats um, to issue policies and what have you. And so that's why the problem existed. And that's why we have to use natural language processing and technology, right, to essentially capture the data directly from uh, the documents that the insurance industry uses to transact. Okay, that makes sense. So you spent a year Sounds like you're you're on the business side. You, mm-hmm. I'm guessing you were maybe a little bit intimidated by taking on this problem without finding a co-founder, uh, maybe one specifically that was a data scientist. Or um, is is I mean, fill me in on the story, like on how you came from analyzing the market and that transition to actually pulling the trigger on on building the MVP. Sure. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, actually, I met as part of that uh, process of really, you know, um, the process of inquiry. I met a couple guys. I knew one personally through a really close friend. And then through him, I met another person. So I met one guy who was at Marsh McLennan, who was just a senior guy there. Um, he was what they call a producer. So they're, they're the ones that sell the, you know, that, that, that manage the client relationships with the corporate insurance. And then he introduced me to somebody at AIG. And the three of us together were the ones that were brainstorming, um, you know, uh, whether or not technology could, um, you know, begin to address some of these problems. And I convinced them that it could. And so technically, I did have a couple co-founders, although they never, ever joined the business full time. And um, they're just, you know, service advisors. But the truth is, I was really the only guy that, that, that actually were, did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, what were some of the reasons that you thought technology couldn't, or not that you did, but your, say, these other people that you were speaking to, or why would the industry not move forward with, was it, was it because each solution needed to sort of be bespoke to that um, internal back-end office systems or what, what was the, what was going on? Yeah. I mean, it's a very sales-driven industry. Um, it's very relationship-driven. And so, I'll, you know, if you think about a business uh, and you can think about a business is really trying to optimize returns to the owners, um, most of these guys really just focused on growing their business and not really focus on the cost. Um, and I think that that in some ways is the reason why there hasn't been the focus on technology. But as you know, in the last few years, there's been a tremendous focus on it. Um, but I would say for, 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 for Line Slip, what we started out trying to solve for isn't what we're doing today. And that's also kind of a really interesting story. So, you know, the first few years uh, of Line Slip, you know, from call it when we started the company in 2016, to 2018, what I call the, the dark period, right? Where we're stabbing around in the darkness, trying to figure out what the product market fit is, what the, the market will allow me to sell to them to solve this problem. Um, we were trying to solve a very different problem than, than what we're doing today. 
And it was actually in early 2018 that I ran into somebody that I knew um, socially uh, through my real estate partner. Um, and I, I ran into him at our kids' soccer game. And um, I said, hey, Glenn, what's, what's going on? He's like, well, Leo, I've got a big problem. And I said, well, what is that, Glenn? He said, well, my largest customer, um, which is one of the sort of call it the top He's an five. insurance guy. He's an insurance yeah. guy. So okay. he works um, at a large insurance broker and he covers private equity companies, right? And um, the, the portfolio companies of large private equity funds. And so um, he's got a huge business. And so when I was asking him what his problem was, he said, well, look, one of my largest customer, which happens to be one of the largest, call it top five globally private equity firms um, in the world, um, they want to see all of their commercial insurance data across all hundred or so of their portfolio companies. And they want to see it rolled up. They want to see it aggregated. They want to be able to ensure that they've got consistent coverages across all of their portfolio companies because they all use multiple brokers, right? So they're, they're different brokers, Marsh McLennan, Willis Towers Watson, Lockton, and so on, Alliant. There are all these different brokers that cater to the individual portfolio companies. And the, there's an operating professional at the private equity firm that wants to see a holistic view, right? Of all of their insurance that they buy so that they can use their scale to drive better outcomes, to drive consistent outcomes, to ensure that they've got the right coverages for the right risks across the whole portfolio. And he's like, I can't do that. And I said, wow, Glenn, I, I can actually do that for you. Really? Um, yeah, that's not a problem. I was trying to solve different problems. But you that knew time. that, were, could you solve that problem? Or you knew that you, you like with some massaging of, of, how your, of how the SAS was working, you could solve it? Or could you actually solve it at that time? Well, I could solve it in the sense that I could extract data uh, from those insurance documents. And I knew I could bubble those data up into a series of views that I would have to then design, right, to meet his needs. But I knew okay. I could do that. Okay, yeah. okay fair enough. So, so you essentially, you could, this is something that you could do to inside of a month of develop, custom development, sort of as tweaking the program, would you say? Or? Yeah, so I'd already built out, as I was trying to solve other problems, I'd already built out what we, what we call in, in the industry lines of business. And so each line of business is a type of insurance product. So mm -hmm. general liability or inland marine or property or workers' comp, Mm -hmm. um, all of those, you know, constitute specific lines of business, right? Today, we have actually over 200 discrete lines of business in line slip, including foreign versions of all of those initial primary lines and then excess versions, right, uh, of those primary lines. So if you have a property policy, right, that goes to, say, $2 million of limit, right, that's how much um, insurance you have in that primary policy, the first $2 million of loss our losses are covered, then their, you know, insurance will buy insurance on top of the $2 million and they call that excess insurance. So we have versions of primary excess and foreign primary and foreign excess for all products. And so I already built a lot of that infrastructure out, Jordy, in the platform. So when I was presented with a um, large private equity firm and 100 portfolio companies, Right? Because we have this database, this relational database, we were able to use our technology to extract those data right, and then 
bubble them up into a series of views that we designed specifically for that private equity use case. And today that's called line slip private equity. That, that evolved into our private equity offering that we sell to that broker, which is one of my largest customers, as well as probably five of the top 10 uh, largest insurance brokers that have private equity business. Okay, that makes sense. I, I don't want to gloss over the dark years either, though, because I think a lot of our learners can learn some of the most valuable lessons uh, in, in a startup, you know, going through those dark years. So can you walk me through what you call those dark years, 2016 to 2018? Sure. Like, what was the original problem that you were sure. trying to solve? Why did you Why did you go into that problem specifically if you couldn't find product market fit in it? Right. Yeah. So that, that's a good question. So initially, the idea the three of us had together was that we could use technology to essentially digitize the data from the very get-go. So um, there's a whole fairly involved process of how insurance gets produced. And it starts with getting what they call exposure data from the customer from the insured, from the corporate insured that's you know, needing the insurance coverage. And exposure data you know, refers to the things that are get, being insured, right? The assets of the business, the employees of the business, um, the risks to the business. And so the idea was originally was to have a single platform where the brokers and the carriers could transact, right? And everybody would be on this platform and they would use line slip, right, to aggregate all of this data, send it to the carriers, right, as a request for proposal, and then the carriers would return quotes, um, you know, proposals to ensure those specific risks, right, those specific risks of that specific insured. And everything would be done on the platform. And, you know, it's, it's a really elegant idea. It's an idea that had been tried before. But we got convinced that the timing was right, right? You know, both from a market perspective, right? From, um, you know, the way, you know, the insurance stakeholders, the way they transact today, um, the fact that people are getting digitally fluent, right? Younger people are digital natives and they just no longer want to push Excel spreadsheets and, and PDFs around. So we thought that the timing was right. And so I started the company with by raising, I think, $350,000 from friends and family. And I hired the guy that had sat next to me because um, I was never going to, you know, this is when, when I was at, uh, I had been in the finance business. So this was the guy that sat next to me at my, at my last job, my last institutional job at Perella Weinberg Partners. Um, he had been the chief software architect at, at, that, at that firm. And so um, I happened to reach out to him because I needed... Um, I needed a CTO, right? And I didn't know any CTOs. So I called all the technology people that I knew. And, you know, he was one of the, the early calls that I had made. And actually, it's maybe an interesting story that before I reached out to Rob Cavani, who's, who's still the CTO of LineSlip, um, one of my uh, dear friends who had worked at Thomson Reuters, who lives in Switzerland, actually lives in Zug, um, he had been a real source for me because uh, I didn't know the first thing about starting a technology company. So I called the people that worked at technology companies or media companies. And so I called him and um, he had put me in touch with this um, 
this Australian guy that he had partnered with who he thought was a brilliant developer. And so I hit it off with him and I tried to recruit him um, to be the CTO. And he you know, had said that he was really compelled by the idea and the problem and the opportunity. And what had happened was um, I, I initially made a proposal to him and he kept coming back to me wanting more money or more equity. And I assure you we're being really generous because you know we didn't have any. Um, and, and, and by the third time of him coming back, I realized, you know, this guy really just doesn't want to do this, right? Because <laughs> you either have it or you don't. Yeah. So, you know, I, I basically, I walked away from him. And, and, that's, and that's when I met Rob Cavani and, and we hit it off. And, and I think Rob was looking to do something different, you know, with his life because he had been working in these, you know, sort of, you know, software architect jobs, but he wasn't really building anything. He was connecting disparate software systems in financial services. So mm-hmm. he was pretty excited about the idea. Okay, and, and so he came on as a CTO. How, how did you structure uh, with friends and family? Like what was the equity structure for sure. at that time? Yeah, so um, it's a good question. So I, I used a convertible note format. Um, because you know for the for the investment so you took on you used a convertible note gave no equity yeah so i didn't use a safe because yes safes didn't exist um you cut out there for a second but safes didn't exist um at that time so i used a convertible note format and um with it with a cap and i think originally the cap was four million three or four million dollars um i raised you know three hundred and you know, 50,000. And I, I put in a big chunk of that myself um, and my family. So it was like maybe one or two friends and, and, and family. And then that grew. We, we raised ultimately about two and a half million dollars, um, you know, in the form of um, convertible notes, which I wouldn't recommend. I don't think it's a really efficient way of raising capital. It's pretty dilutive. Um, really? really it's dilutive. Okay. So yeah, now you would recommend if going back then, granted that safes didn't exist, what would you have done looking back? How would you? Have done well, that I mean, the safes operate the same way, Jordy. It's just that um, what I didn't appreciate was that when all of those notes converted all at the same time, right? They had the 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 effect of compounding the dilution for for all of us common shareholders. So it wasn't really the most efficient way. Uh, to raise capital, but I was a first-time founder, and I didn't candidly, even though I was a finance guy and I should have known better, I didn't know better. <laughs> so it's it's one of the great ironies. You just have to get comfortable with the fact that um, serendipity and irony sort of play tricks on you, uh, yeah. play tricks on one another. So, so at this time, when did you leave the real estate? And granted, real estate maybe was passive income for you, and maybe it was you were more on the investment side. But when did you kind of go from real estate to full time on this? Would you yeah, it's that? a great question. Yeah, I mean, basically, we were um, not making a lot of progress, and I'll go back to to talking about sort of what what we ended up doing um, in a second. But I realized at the end of 2017, early 2018, that. Unless I went full time on Line Slip, we were never going to go anywhere. And so it was right at the beginning of 2018 um, that I went full time. And it was shortly thereafter that I met Glenn and, and sort of stumbled into that private equity use case for what we had built um, that we got into business. That was when we generated our first revenue. Okay. So, so it sounds like 
you were you took some money on in, in the form of a convertible note. You're still doing your real estate. You're sort of trying to figure this out. Was Rob still working on that? He had created something though. The MVP was still still was still there. You must have had some customers because when when Glenn came to you, you had a working platform, correct? That's right. Yeah. So that's that's worth mentioning. So um, Rob was really effective. We sat in a room, the three of us. So going back to early 2016, um, those two co-founders and I sat in a room with a guy that I had hired. Uh, for like $10,000 to help us map out all the personas. Um, and we designed essentially the platform, right? He then. was an insurance guy. Like, was he an insurance insider? So he kind of really knew and understood the problem? No, the guy that we hired was more of a software guy with a non-technical background as well. So he, he was able to bridge a bunch of these ideas uh, into a document right that ultimately became the blueprint for what rob built does that make sense yeah and originally we call those user stories it sounds like it's still like mock-ups or user stories or something. exactly yeah exactly and i still have that document it's funny sometimes to to think back that that was the original sort of architectural blueprint for what we built but essentially we were building that soft we did we built that platform that that i that i described earlier that essentially was a one-stop shop for brokers and carriers to transact, right? And so he delivered an alpha in the middle part of 2016. And in very early 2017, we signed up our first beta, okay? So it was an MVP, but, you know, we, you know, I found a beta. And, it, the, and it's kind of a funny story of how I found that beta. So I'd had a couple people work with me just on a part-time basis that were sort of between, you know, between full-time jobs and people that I knew whom I had, you know, great regard for. And one of those guys had come up with the idea that we need more intelligence from our prospective customers. So we offered, I think, like a $10 Amazon gift card if people would answer a survey monkey around where their pain points were. Okay. And so we got a whole bunch of brokers. We knew we had a list of the top 100 brokers and we sent out, you know, call it 100 cards. And one of those brokers that came back was a small regional broker uh, named MJ Insurance based in Indianapolis, Indiana. And um, I uh, end up, ended up connecting with the guy who was responsible for innovation at this broker who really got it in the sense that he saw an opportunity to make the production of insurance, at least from the broker's perspective, a lot more efficient. Um, and he ended up, uh, this, this small broker, ended up being our first beta customer. And so we rolled out LineSlip to these guys and there was a lot of enthusiasm, the whole team, we, we handpicked a core group you know, that quote unquote got it within um, the small broker that was going to use it to actually transact and hopefully help us improve it. Right. And you know what happened, Jordy? Nothing. Nothing. They didn't really use nothing. it. They didn't oh, use really, it. really, yeah. Yeah, they didn't yeah. use it. And I realized that the whole idea of change management, um, getting folks to do something different, I knew that was always going to be a risk. But I realized at that moment, when I was struggling to get these guys who had committed to using us, right, and working with us and trying to help us develop this product, which would essentially be, in some ways, custom designed for their needs, right? They, they didn't, didn't want to do because they don't want to change their behavior. That was, that was a big part of it. The other part of it was they had day jobs to do. 
And they yeah. didn't want to struggle with something that wasn't perfect. Yeah. And so it was right then that I realized that if I pursued this path, I was going to be pushing on a string. I'd mm. run out of money and I would, quote unquote, die on the vine. Yeah. So I immediately said, forget it. We're going to solve a different problem. And so after, after that you know, debacle, um, we tried to solve another problem for the, for the small broker, which mm. was um, to automate a very specific type of product. I won't go into it because it's not worth sort of describing it because it's very yeah. specific. Yeah. Um, but we tried to, you know, automate a, a, a you know, an, another product for brokers that we thought would really, you know, resonate with them. And I hired a guy to do it and all of, all of this. And guess what? Nothing happened. And so it was right around that time that I decided to go full time. And that's when I met Glenn and, and kind of the rest is, is history. Right. But <clears throat> so specifically, it sounds to me like you had you knew that there was a problem, you know, digitizing uh, all of these these data sets, uh, mm -hmm. and so you had a platform that could do that. Essentially, take all of these different line line items for each each product. I guess it, it sounds almost like an insurance skew or something. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's that's essentially what it is. And and each of those quote unquote skews has different entities, right? Different uh -huh. fields, uh, different data. Some of which the data, by the way, is the same, right? Like when right. does the policy begin? When does it end? How much are you paying for it? Who the insured is, who the broker is, who the carrier is, stuff like that. Okay, so when, when Glenn presented this problem to you, how did you know that it wasn't just a problem that he had? Did you, did you verify or was it sort of like, I'll solve this problem for you and it would be, he would be a big enough account that you would be able to survive? Yeah, it's a, it, that's an awesome question. I mean, the truth is, I just realized that I've been doing this for three years and I needed some revenue. So yeah. I actually viewed it kind of as a side hustle for okay. trying to solve a bigger problem because I knew okay. it was a bit of a niche because was, it was really a problem that was particular to these large private equity firms or middle market and large private equity firms. Uh -huh. So I knew that wasn't a large enough market opportunity to, to, to be wildly compelling. But I was like, look, it gets me into a large broker. It gets me respected. It gets me solving uh, one something, specific, something yeah, that something. someone will pay me for, you know, that's, that's right. worth something. Yeah, exactly. OK, exactly. OK, exactly. I get it. Um, so, 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 you know, what, what kind of revenues are we talking from this one account? Like what was he willing um, to pay? It was initially about 35 K, uh, that, that the first year, year. Or how did you price it? Was it like, he was like, solve this problem and I'll give you 35,000. So it was almost like a mm -hmm. consulting agreement or was it like, did you say, okay, yeah. this, this, this is buys you one year and you know, this, I want this to be a service. Yeah, no, it was, um, initially kind of a month to month trial that we struck. And it started, call it in the midsummer of 2018. And it was a it was a month to month agreement actually. And so every month I would invoice them and it was for 30 you know, grand. No, no, it was about it was less than that. Um, it, you know, it ended up being it was considerably less than that. It ended up being 35 grand for the whole for 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 the amount of time that we you know, that, that we were engaged with them in 2018. So it was a relatively right. modest amount of money. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So, um, let, let's say it's, um, yeah, whatever it's four grand or something a month yeah. um, that, that you, that you got them and they're still a client. 
They are, and they're they're obviously much much larger now. Right. So so essentially, the reason they were paying you for this is because for that thirty five thousand, they could end up saving you know hundreds of thousands on on all their different insurance products. Is that right? Well, it was more that they were trying to address the need. This particular uh, important member of a very specific business team was was needing to, to address a very specific problem for his largest customer, okay? And then from then, from there, the, that group uh, that caters to these private equity funds realized that nobody has this capability anywhere in among all the insurance brokers, right? Because what we were able to do initially, we were able to bubble up all this critical commercial insurance data organized by portfolio company into a holistic view at the fund, at the private equity fund level, right? And, and so the, the leader of that group, who's one of my customers, obviously, realized this is a strategic asset. Line slip can drive a ton of value, help them win additional mandates or additional business from other private equity funds. So he introduced me to the rest of his team, right? And obviously we weren't appropriate for all uh, of their business, but we were appropriate for the largest components of their business. This is the group that caters to the private equity funds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we went from being kind of a point solution for one critical member of that team to now being a strategic asset for all of them to access. And that's why my business grew with them. Okay, so with them and they introduced you to these the, their community or to their, uh, are they clients? Are they yeah, this is what I say. Yeah, I was saying that um, imagine Glenn was, you know, one member of this M&A team that caters to the private equity funds, right? Okay. He introduced me to his boss, right? Because his boss yeah. had to pay for it. Boss yeah. realized that this was a real strategic advantage, line slip, right? Mm-hmm. To give the broker against the other competitive brokers that, that okay. obviously... So essentially produced- from that one conversation on the on the on the soccer pitch you're you're basically you know it bloomed into this you know maybe 40 other accounts is that right well they were it's all the same customer right so it's this one brokerage firm that's my customer but then i have multiple users within the brokerage firm oh, okay, okay. within the broker okay. yep. great so then what did what did that end up like how did you end up being in um, you mentioned before in the show you're doing about two million in revenues now. Yeah. that's quite a lot of growth coming from thirty five thousand. So, right. w- when did that sort of growth start happening? Is it two thousand nineteen? Uh, um, yeah. So that it's a really good question. So, so first of all, we grew very significantly with that one customer, but I still really only had one customer, uh, Jordy. Okay. And then uh, which in is scary, eh? I mean, it's a bit scary, right? <laughs> it is. <laughs> One but, but, but when you're accustomed to stringing your business along um, and having you less take what you can get, yeah, for sure. Your, and you're going to you know, bend over backwards to, to really please them. and, and Right, right. What, what, what you don't appreciate is that once I recognized that this was a larger opportunity and a problem that was shared not just by other brokers – and other private equity funds, but rather like corporate insurance generally, right? I, I started investing heavily in the data science, right? To automate the extraction of those commercial insurance data. And the other insight I had, which happened in 2019, in the middle of 2019 was, well, look, if these portfolio companies of, the, of these 
um, private equity funds, if they see value in organizing their commercial insurance data for their own, you know, to help them manage their, their insurance, um, then corporate America, which have a lot more complex insurance programs, should see a lot more value, right? That was like the null hypothesis. And so I hired a consultant because yep. I didn't know any corporate risk managers, didn't know any of these people. Um, and she introduced me to a bunch of them. And out of that um, came my first corporate insured customer. These were really forward-thinking risk managers, really sharp okay. uh, professionals. And they knew that they needed a, some sort of a digital solution to be able to handle all this stuff. They, they, that's right. They knew that they didn't, at that time, they were doing all of this manually in Excel. Yeah. And that the data had a lot of value, if yeah. only to make it easier to report on what was going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, when did you feel like you actually, okay, I've got product market fit. Like, you, I understand this is, this is, was there a point in time when you, you knew that you had it? Yeah, I mean, I was talking to, to, to investors the whole time, institutional investors, and they really discounted the, that one client because... They, or that one customer because they felt that, okay, that's a niche product. I don't know how big it is. But once I realized that there was an opportunity among corporate America, right, and I designed a bunch of views, because remember the data are exactly the same, right? Commercial insurance data are the same, whether you're dealing with a private equity portfolio company or you're dealing you know, with IBM. And so what I had to do was essentially design views or reports right, into those data that address the specific business needs of these corporate risk managers. And so using the consultant, I got access to them. I designed a bunch of very simple views, like the ones that I had already for the private equity portfolio companies. And then I iterated and elaborated on those views. And I, and I made them, I customized them, if you will, for the needs of corporate America uh, risk, you know, large corporate risk managers that, that are overseeing large risk transfer programs. Um, and that was really at the end of 2019 where I realized I could productize this and there was a big opportunity. Um, okay. That's when you, you really sort of realized the, the market opportunity. You essentially had made a pivot into this space after your conversation with Glenn and then you, 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 you realized product market fit after hiring the, uh, the consultant that introduced you to all these corporates and, and they were agreeing, yes, I need this view. Are you selling the data? Are you a data as a, as um, as a service, or or is it the is the dashboard that's so valuable to them? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I would say that today, what the value that we're providing our customers is, we're making it very easy for them, and we're doing it on a turnkey basis. That was the other big insight, which we should spend a couple minutes on, which was um, coming out of that that beta that we had uh, at that small regional broker. I realized that. A, you know, no one was going to use that, but B, that I needed to deliver my value on a turnkey basis, right? Meaning I couldn't have my customers actually, you know, using the platform to extract the data. I needed to do it for them because they were so new to employing technology in their business process. I realized I had to do that for them. But it was the product market fit was really clear when I got convinced that the, the, the you know, sort of the aha moment that my first corporate customer had was going to be shared across most large corporate customers, right? Most large corporations. 
looking back, it sounds like you had a lot of conversations with the um, with the insurance insurance industry, and you spent. Um, it really sounds like sort of like three four years, as you say, stumbling in the dark, stabbing at a solution. Looking back, how could you have sped that up? Yeah, well, I could have been full time. So okay. two two things. Um, I would say when you're trying to figure out product market fit, um, I know second time entrepreneurs have no problem raising lots of capital because they've already demonstrated their ability to build stuff and be successful. But until you have product market fit, there's no real reason to spend a lot of capital because you don't need to spend a lot of capital to determine it, right? So I don't know whether I would have done things differently in terms of how I finance the business, but I certainly would have gone full time sooner because I really underappreciated the benefit of focus, right? Focus is, I think, essential. And had I focused sooner and stepped away from my real estate business sooner, I think I'd be further along today. Okay, focus. And, and specifically, the conversations that you were having, what were the most beneficial? Was it like surveys or actually you know getting on the phone or actually going to events so what did you find the mm. most beneficial in terms of like getting access to um, these um, people that make buying decisions and know the, the problem and figuring out how to solve it yeah so the the, the smartest thing I did was essentially re recruit folks from the industry, right? Because I knew it was a sales-driven, relationship-driven industry, and I didn't have 20 years to develop those relationships, so I hired those people, right? Very, serendip very serendipitously, yeah. right? Okay. It wasn't, it was, it was mostly by accident. I got introduced to a senior guy at Marsh who ended mm -hmm. up joining me in early 2020. He recruited somebody who'd been the former global head of risk management at Coca-Cola, she joined me, and so on, and that's how it went. Okay. So it sounds like you really, you solved the problem with focus, with some, you know, you had some capital to, to be able to pay to hire these people and then bringing on insiders, and that's really how you, how you were able to solve that problem uh, ultimately and quickly. Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, what, I, what I should have done sooner, you know, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but... I wish I had started investing in marketing because it took us a while to build some brand awareness. Even though it's a relatively small community, there's you know nobody else doing what we do, and so as a result, no one no one thinks, hey, there's an alternative to Excel, there's an alternative to manual, there's an alternative to PDF. Yeah, um, and they probably wouldn't even know how to find it. You know, like what do you search for? You know, that's the that's thing. right. That's there's exactly no term right. for this. Because you guys right. invented it, yeah. So it's that's right. Cool. So in, in the technology, there has there is technology that exists for risk managers, but it's all around organizing claims data, right? So imagine you're a large company like a McDonald's. You have literally thousands of workers' comp claims every year because people are getting injured on the job. Um, it's unfortunately unavoidable, and so you need software to help you organize all of those individual claims so you can track them and manage them. And hopefully, you know, drive some insight into why there may be those some of those claims may be uh, above baseline, meaning there are more claims happening in certain regions, maybe because they're not implementing certain enterprise uh, safety uh, measures that 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 have been rolled out. But for whatever the reason, the manager there isn't doing a good enough job. So that technology has been around for a very long time, and it's and, and by the way, serves a purpose. Uh, but my point is beyond that. 
there's almost nothing available for risk managers. So we really have to evangelize what we do and, and, and tell a story about how our, our platform can really help our, our risk manager customers, empower them, make it easier for them to explain what they do and the value they bring to their, to their, you know, to their boss, uh, to their colleagues, and so on. I mean, one thing that's amazing that a lot of people don't appreciate is that there are multiple solutions for every corporate function, literally. You know, if you look at the office of the executive suite, right? You've got ERP systems and CRM systems. You have cap table management, right? You have expense management. You have accounting systems. You have treasury systems. Guess what? There's literally nothing for the risk manager. Zero. And so if the CFO says, how much business did we do with AIG over the last five years? You know what the response is? Let me get back to you. Yeah. It's just not acceptable in this day. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Listen, Leah, I want to thank you so much to you for your time. We're getting close to the end of the hour, so I want to respect your time and make sure you get off to your other meetings and the rest of your day. I want to thank you again. Um, how can people find out more about, uh, obviously, Line Slip will be in the show notes, but if they want to find out more about your story or where can we send um, any of our listeners to find out more sure, about what yeah, you're doing? The- they, they can go to, they can go to um, the Line Slip LinkedIn page. They can go to our website. They, they can feel free to reach out. I love, you know, helping young entrepreneurs think about how to, to move from an idea uh, to, to building a business or certainly at least, um, you know, a first product. Um, it's something that, that, that people have done with me, um, and, it's, and, and I enjoy mentoring others as well. So Great. happy to answer any questions people might have. Great. Thanks so much again for your time, Leo. Sure. Thanks for having me, Jordy. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.